The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host Danny Kelly, alongside me today is The Athletic's James Moore and Jack Pitt-Brook. We've got a lot to get through this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening. On today's episode we've got Spurs' financial results, a revised Super League thing, uh, more injuries than Manchester City have got alleged FFP breaches, a Valentine's Day trip to Milan and an absolute horror show in Leicester. Um, it has been, in my opinion... I can't think of a worse week in Spurs history. We went from the absolute rapture of the victory over Manchester City um, to a succession of injuries and a terrible display at Leicester. We'll talk about the other injuries in a second, but I guess we have to start with Rodrigo Benton Kerr, so critical to the team, and the club have now made a statement. Jack, where are we at with this? So Tottenham have confirmed this morning the news that was um, kind of first emerged on Sunday evening from journalist I think in Uruguay uh, saying that Benton Kerr's knee injury that he went off with on Saturday is a very serious one it's a ligament injury he's going to need surgery and he is going to be out for a long period of time I think the numbers the the timescale quoted when the news initially broke on Sunday was I think six to eight months but it's obviously it's February now so that means his season is over and hopefully all being well will be back for the start of next season. But that you know, that feels like a long way off now because you know Tottenham have got a huge second half of the season and Benteke has been their best I I think you know are level enough with Harry Kane being their best player this yeah. season. It is also that classic thing of presumably missing preseason, which is never good. You never get a good feeling when a player comes back it like like, you know, after that September international break. I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't that doesn't strike me as a player who's going to hit the ground running when he's back. That is, uh, like, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves there, obviously, because mm-hmm. that's next season now. But um, I mean, it's just a complete nightmare, isn't it, Danny? I mean, I, I, me and Jack were talking about this on the phone earlier this morning. I, there are a few, if any, players that it would be worse for Spurs to lose, and you can include Harry Kane in that because they'd have Richarlison. But yeah, like, you're talking yeah, about yeah. like a, a, a midfield axis of Skip and Saar in this Champions League game. We'll, Hoiberg we'll come, back we'll in the come, league. We'll, I mean, it's a, we'll, ah. we'll, we'll definitely come on to it. But, you know, uh, the, the, the sequence of events were when the, the goalkeeper uh, is out for two months. Then we got the news that Bissouma is going to be out for two, three months. I think probably, a, probably a similar timescale to, to Larissa. Yep. Um, so, and, then, and then that's a, that the... The one left wing back we've got who's not 34 years of age is out for a significant length of time and is devastated by yet another hamstring injury in the form of Sessignon. Um, on top of the Basuma thing, the Benton Kerr thing is just... Im- I'm finding, I'm going to be honest here, I'm finding it impossible to know how Spurs are going to get through this season without a change of system. If Tim was here, he would definitely mention that Matt Doherty's best position is left wing back. His preferred position. Just worth bearing in mind, they got rid of the guy for nothing. In fact, they paid to get rid of him. I've got I've got some news about Destiny Odoji for later in the, later in the show as well. Um, it, it's a, it, the whole thing is an absolute disaster. Now, uh, the, the Benteke injury comes in a defeat at Leicester. That I suppose in a mad season like everyone's having um, is 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 just nothing out of the ordinary. But the management at the end of the game, Conte apparently didn't speak to the players. 
the management will be, will say today or tomorrow, listen, we have to put that one down to experience and they probably won't even look at it because they've got the AC Milan game to prepare for. We do not have a, 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 such a luxury, I'm afraid. Injuries, illness, all the rest of it. But Spurs were, as they were excellent against Manchester City, I put it to you, Jack, that they were shocking against Leicester. And I will say I can't remember... When was the last time they played that badly? Possibly at Arsenal under Nuno? Yeah. Was that their worst performance of the season? I think it might have been. I think it was probably worse than Arsenal at home just because Arsenal at home, you know, Arsenal are a really good team. And Leicester have obviously had a really difficult season. Um, just trying to go back through, I mean... Yeah, I think it probably it, it must be you know Man United away they were they were awful but then Man United away has actually quite you know become a harder game this season. Um, so yeah, I think it probably was their worst performance this season. Maybe even one of their worst performances under Conte. I think. I was thinking of the, I was thinking of that Palace game right at the start of last season, which I guess is the last time they've played. You know, with respect, a non-elite Premier League club and been slapped about you know we lost that game 3-0 I mean I think on the balance of it that game was probably far closer than this one Palace scored two goals very late in that game Spurs went down to 10 men obviously Tanganga got sent off I, I wish he'd um, got sent off at the weekend I, I, and, it, and <laughs> well, I was just gonna say I thought you might say something like that um but yeah to, I, I mean look, Leicester have obviously turned a bit of a corner they seemingly played very well against Aston Villa last weekend and suddenly like they've scored eight goals in two games and it looks like they've finally kick-started their season but we were saying last week Danny it's the kind of game Spurs need to win if they're serious about getting into the top four and you know despite having taken the lead very early in the game they've just got nowhere near uh, laying a finger on Leicester really it's uh... and I'm not going to just blame we'll get into how bad the defence was but teams defend as a, as, a, as a group as a unit what struck me was that I mean Spurs were absolutely toothless in attack I mean they really I don't think the fabled front three hardly made a chance between them. Our best, our best attacks were corners and free kicks. Um, you know, Perisic almost scored from a free kick. Um, but the whole team was strung out around the pitch in a way that you don't see Premier League teams out of touch with each other, all compartments of the team, so dislocated one from another. Now, look, the second goal, which was critical in many ways, was a little bit unlucky. Fass's tackle goes directly, as the Spurs players are moving up, directly to Iheanacho. But even so, it's still 40 yards out. It is recoverable. The team defended so badly. I remember saying to you in the last podcast, when we knew that Romero wasn't going to be playing, obviously, I I'm, I'm dreading whoever's playing at the back of Spurs with Harvey Barnes, who I think is probably one of the most underrated players in the Premier League, driving into that space between the, the centre-back and the, and, the, and the right wing-back. And sure enough, Barnes had an absolute field day. Ian Nacho um, looked like Higuain playing up there. Um, it was just, it was horrible. Um, let's start, let, let's name some names. Eric Dyer, who I've stood up for as much as I can. What is he playing at? Why is he standing off the people with the ball at their feet? Yeah. Yeah, the retreating in the face of being run out, which was obviously something highlighted on on, on match of the day, was really bad. Also, he was. I, I know you you are right that they were kind of unlucky that when Woot fast tackled Kane, the ball flew straight through to Ianacho. But it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't. It should not be that simple for just one 
one ball forward to cut through Tottenham. And obviously, if you watch it back, it's because Dyer's miles away from where he should be. There's no, there's a huge gap between the right centre back and the left centre back, and there's and in in into that gap, Ian Acho could just run straight through the middle, which happened more than once. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think that's a good point. I, like to suggest that it's unlucky in that instance is fair enough. But as Jack says, those kind of balls are exposing Spurs all through the game, intentional or otherwise. Like that defensive line was a complete shambles, and you know we talked uh, last week. And in fact, Stellini talked last week about Dyer pushing up into midfield out of that back three against Manchester City and how well that worked. But, I mean, in this game, the, the shape of that defence was just a complete shambles. They were all over the place. And when you've got like dynamic runners on and off the ball, as Leicester, do, as Leicester have, and you mentioned Barnes, he's just one of them, uh, you're always going to be at risk of getting completely torn to shreds. And, you know, you play two... You know, I'm, I'm repeating myself. You play two in midfield, you're playing wing-backs, there's space either side of a centre-backs... Space in between the centre backs. There's loads of space in midfield. You are sometimes going to just completely be overrun and torn to shreds. And but the counter you've got they, to hope to, you've got to hope to stay that off. But when you've got your second choice goalkeeper, your best centre back's not there. You're you're inviting a result like that. But the counter to that, James, is that you've got seven effectively seven defensive players on the pitch. You shouldn't. Well, they don't be play like that, though, do they? No. I, I, here's the thing: against Manchester City, they played the same system and the. the the wing backs, and I know there's a personnel difference or two, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sure. one, at least or two personnel differences with Royale mm-hmm. uh, Romero. I'm gonna I'm gonna get them mixed up to a day I die. But like last last week against Manchester City, it was more or less a back five for the most part, particularly particularly on Royale's side, and the two in midfield were sort of box to box in all action and pressed when they could, but they were sat back far deeper. This time, you know, against a team like Leicester, you've got to play on the front foot a bit more. They put Porro in the team, he's going to head forward. Perisic, as you've mentioned, is a 34-year-old winger, really. <laughs> it sort of stands to reason that you're not going to be quite as uh, robust defensively. All right, let, let, and, all right more names. Um, Yafet his... Tangank, go on. Uh, while we're naming names, like it's not a nice thing to say, but I think Fraser Forster looked well, Bad. I was going to say, let's, let's, just, let's just pedal for, through them. Yeah, for Tanganga. On the goals, and to... also the, the disallowed goal as well. Like, he's, he just doesn't, he didn't look, watching him in that game, I just didn't think he looked like he moves like a goalkeeper or a, a goalkeeper of a top Premier League team does in 2023. Yeah, well, I was going to say, the, 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 the fifth, the, that goal, Spurs lost 5 1, didn't they? Because nothing will ever convince me that was offside. They had to, fi- they had to find a blurred picture of Harvey Barnes's leg in one frame to convince themselves, which is what they did. They hypnotised themselves because of their self-importance into, into disallowing the goal. It was bollocks. That's, up, that's actually quite wretched luck for Spurs, isn't it? To get that crap VAR decision going our way in a game where they got absolutely <laughs> yeah. battered anyway. Imagine <laughs> they just lost 5-1 and given that goal. Yeah, and Barnes probably deserved another goal, didn't he? Um, you know, you're right, Jack. Tanganga has done nothing to convince me that he's a Premier League player, and I'm I'm saying that. Porro is getting pelters. It was his debut, but personally speaking, unless it's the first game of the season, I never start people at their first game away from home. I would never do that. Um, but he, incidentally, th- but incidentally, that Leicester, the uh, the Palace game I mentioned was Emerson Royale's first game, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, start them at home. Give them a, give them a chance. Premier I think League Tim Spears sent us a WhatsApp during the game saying. Um, I can't believe I'm going to... It's something along the lines of, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but they they made a huge mistake not playing Emerson Royale in this game. Mm. I mean, and given how quickly... And given how how Leicester attack, as you guys were just, just saying, like, they're so they're so quick. They've got a lot of... Um, you know, they're very... They move... When they're good, they're actually really... 
they play well, a really good expansive Madison's style. Madison's a magician when yeah. he's playing well, yeah. It, maybe, they, maybe in hindsight they should have played well. I don't know. It's very easy to say that now, isn't it? But I'm glad you mentioned Fraser Forster because I wasn't sure. Because the, the, the coverage I watched um, on television, Paul Robinson um, was ex-Burs goalkeeper, was doing the, the, the co-commentary, and he didn't seem to think that Fraser Forster was to blame for any of the goals. I wonder it, why. It was he considered all the same goals 15 was, years ago. It was the not... The exact same goals that he was letting in 20, 15, 20 years ago. It, it, it was not an, a, an appraisal I have to say I agreed with. I mean, those shots... Look, for all the criticism Lloris has had, those shots down by the post are the things he specialises in saving. Yeah. He's much so, nearer the ground, of course. And a lot of mistakes that Lloris... Obviously, Lloris made a lot of mistakes this year, but... The mistakes that Luis tends to make, I think, are either kind of errors of judgment when it comes to, you know, coming off his line, or just really basic handling errors that look just slightly comical. Whereas he's not, he's still very agile, Luis. I don't think he's lost, he's, I mean, he's always been incredibly nimble, it's got good reflexes, and he moves really well. And I don't. I think he's, he might have lost a little bit of that, but it's other parts of his game that I think he's lost more in the last year or two. And so we're not. I, I know the, the was it the uh, the second goal in the Ars, in the Arsenal game was kind of in, into the bottom corner, and maybe Luis should have got there. But it's quite unusual, I think, for Luis to make that kind of just not quick enough mistake. Whereas with Forster, it looks like if you put the ball in the bottom corner, you're in business, and that's not a that's not not a good position for for. for people to know about your goalkeeper let's do this then let's go through the four goals and let's say which do we think Hugo Lloris might have saved which would you which would you watch which goals did you watch back and think Lloris might have saved that because I think he might have saved that first one because I think uh Forster's I mean I mean look we're at the risk of being incredibly harsh here but I think Forster's footwork there was so slow like he was still on the opposite post that the ball had come across to Mendy like he he needed to have. I mean, look, I'm I'm no goalkeeper expert, and there could be goalkeepers or experts listening to this thinking I'm talking utter shit. In which case, please do let me know. But surely he has to take a couple of steps across the goal to where the ball is. But regardless of whether he knows he's going to have this shot into the top corner, and it's look, it looks like a worldie the way he's hit it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, great, a great it's finish. a great I'm, shot. I, I, yeah, but, yeah, 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 but you've yeah. seen those stops, haven't you? And I, I tried, I tried, make, I made sure I saw all the angles I could, uh, both on TV and on online, to make sure that he wasn't unsighted. He's not unsighted. He's just static, um, and the big man. They didn't, you know, he didn't put his arm up. Really, it was it was very odd. So I was going to say, I, I also thought um, Forster's footwork looked similarly bad again at, on Boxing Day at Brentford. Yeah, that the first goal at Brentford was awful. His footwork was really bad for that. The 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 ones that go in the corner, they're not hit with, with, with the power that the opener was, and I would expect a top goalkeeper to get down to those and I would have expected Lloris to say those as well the, the third one definitely the second the second one I'm not so sure because Madison's right on top of him I mean I I, I don't know about that oh no one. no sorry I, I agree Madison, the, the, Madison the, the, that, the, that's a good finish and no and, and that's that one's acceptable yeah the, the the third one I mean is like it's like in slow motion I mean, he has got the problem of Eric Dyer, who was there doing his impression of one of those um, metal mannequins they use in <laughs> yeah. training to bend it round, you know, to bend it round for, to try and unsight the goalkeeper. Uh, it, it, it was a mess. And, and, of course, there's no solution to this. I saw one of the in-the-nose online this morning suggesting not the two sort of 22-year-old goalkeepers they got, but the boy they got from St. Patrick's Athletic a few months ago, having played one game... One game in the League of Ireland might be the answer to Tottenham's goalkeeping problems that they, one game, we'll see, that they appear to be going to have uh, for the rest of the season. 
Um, look, the thing about the Benton Kerr injury is that I think, like a lot of people, I spent so long think I spent, let's say, the last twenty four hours thinking about, oh god, Benton Kerr's injured. This is terrible news for, for for Tottenham and for the rest of, and for the rest of the season. And actually, that has briefly made me forget about the Luis injury and how bad the Luis injury is. But the last five minutes of this conversation made me remember. Hold on a second, Luis being injured is also really really bad for Tottenham. It's not just Benton Kerr; like it's two of their hardest, two of their most irreplace most irreplaceable. Uh, first teamers who they're going to miss. Well, we, for... we've, we've got Perisic's thigh strain or whatever to come yet, haven't we? I mean, he's going to, you know, I, I, he's played a lot of football this season and with the World Cup as well. Now he's going to have to play twice a week when there are two games in a week. The only. It's up- going to be interesting. The only upshot of that, it might force, um, the t- and we'll talk about this for the, in, when we get to the Milan game, it might force them to take the needle out of their vein. Where they're addicted like heroin addicts to three at the back, it might force them to play Ben Davis at left back in a four. Uh, well, uh, th- th- I like it. I like uh, it. Well, that, that's that's what's go- what needs to happen because see, we we can't. We I mean I don't think you can play Perisic in every game. I mean that definitely wasn't the plan, and I'm I'm, I'm a bit worried about Ryan Sessegnon as well now. Whether he's going to be one of these lads whose pace is causing him to you know it's actually both his strongest suit. And the thing that's likely to make it's hold him back as a footballer because he's going to be worried about his hamstrings. Do you reckon they might end up having to play Emerson at left wing back? I do. If per- if Perisic gets injured, and that, I think that's that would be plausible. Well, it'd be, but no, then they, they, I think they, it would they, have to be Emerson on the left wing. No, they could play da- they play Davis there, wouldn't they? Davis. At uh, so, so what's yeah. our uh, what's our four two three one yeah, team maybe. then? So Forster, Forster in goal, reluctantly. Then what? Royale at right back. So you're, you're ditching Poro straight away. <laughs> Two centre backs, Romero and what? Dyer or Longley. If you want a left footer, Davis at left back. Then you two. So for this game, obviously no Hoiberg because he's suspended. So it's Saar and Skip. You've got no option. Kulusevski on the right. Who's your number ten? You might have to play Kane and Rashalos up front. Yeah, that's not awful. Then you've got you've got options on the left. You could play. You could play Perisic or Son. You can leave Son out if you needed to. What do you think the percentage chance is of Tottenham starting a game with a formation other than the back three this season? Bear in mind that Conte's only not played a back three once since he's been in charge. I would say roughly 0%. I would say the percentage chances are intrinsically linked to the percentage chances of Conte not being the Tottenham manager before the end of the season. Okay, do you think Con- that that that's a fair question? But do you think Conte will not play a back three? Because I think it won't happen. I think. I th- happen. Well, I, I I hear you, um, but I'll I'll I, I think the percentage chances of obviously have increased significantly. I mean, you, you you don't think so because you think zero. So there's no there's no increase. There's no there's yeah. no you can't double from, from zero. Not, from not percent to not point five percent. No, and I I think more than that because you know circumstances tell you that you can't. You know, you're in, as you say, you need one injury at left back now, at left wing back, and 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 you've got to do something about it. I think. I think we're. I think we're a couple of like awful results away from that. Like, like I think like you could get smacked in midweek at Milan, uh, lose at home to West Ham because they'll try and exploit that. Then what? What is after that? Chelsea. I mean, and and yet another defeat to Chelsea for Antonio Conte as Tottenham manager. Maybe that will be the point that he decides. That's the thing is that last time he last the only time that he's abandoned the back three was obviously Chelsea away, uh, January twenty twenty two, and clearly he's got a bit of a complex about Chelsea, you know, for under, understandable reasons, and I think that he was just trying to be 
you know, as people say about Guardiola, trying to overcomplicate it, trying to be too clever for that game. And that's why he went to the back four. But I just wonder, I mean, it may, maybe it's different now that it's Potter and it's a different era and it's not Abramovich, it's not Abramovich anymore. It's not uh, It's not Thomas Tuchel. But may, maybe now, now that you've said that, maybe it's possible he'll go into that game again with the sort of Chelsea complex in his mind, trying to out trying to do something crazy and maybe that that thing will be playing Danny's formation well uh, all I can say is that even since the last times uh, we played Chelsea the, the, the you know Shao Felix looks what I know he is a tremendous footballer Mudrick can do all sorts of things uh, that's a game I'm not particularly uh, looking forward to we should mention um, Conte both positively and negatively here if I may um, obviously we wish him well with his health and that's that's, that's just human um, I, I don't know how. I don't think he should have been on the on the, on the in the in the technical area at the weekend. It looked to me um, as someone who went through a kind of similar thing eighteen months ago um, when I had a kidney operation. That you know it was keyhole, so you you think you're going to be okay, but it took it takes you a little longer. I know, I know he's younger, fitter, and slimmer than me. But even so, um, every time I try to do something more than I should have done, you you do feel the consequences. Um, so the best of luck to him with his health. What I can't have is Stellini after the game um, talking about desire and commitment. If you if you have desire and commitment, you'd assign contracts at the club. Simple as that. You cannot tell the players to run through brick walls when you aren't prepared to do the same thing yourself. Sorry. That is entirely obvious, isn't it? I mean, I think we had this. We had this in 2012 when Harry Redknapp was, you know, demanding Modric and Bale and whoever else showed commitment to the club when he was touting himself for the England job it's it's the same thing you know I just don't I don't get funnily enough we've sort of had a, a similar issue at Kingstonian where we've had twice this season managers who've agreed to leave for, for different personal reasons and they're valid reasons you know at a non-league level like your personal life is the, the balance is totally different right it's even more important um Twice a season ended up with managers who have like decided they want to leave and then being made to stay to do a few more games so they can get another manager in. And like, what do you expect happens in those games? They look absolutely rubbish. They had a, a new manager in on Saturday, and although they still lost to one of the best teams in the league, they played much better. And, and I'm not saying, suggesting the Isthmian Premier League has all the answers, but I reckon if you have a manager who wants to be the manager and has shown the commitment to have a contract or to have a longer-term vision or a longer-term plan the team is going to play much better and the players are going to show much more commitment. Also, Stellini and the coaching staff, uh, well, they're, they're actually going through a difficult time themselves, but it's, for Stellini and the coaching staff to talk about the, uh, the players' desire, it's what people on, on Twitter call a cell phone. Like, the number one jo- the number one rule of football is that it's the manager's job to motivate the players. And if the manager and if the players are playing badly, you get a different manager who can motivate the players. You can't try and shame the players into wanting to win more. That just is that is not how football works. And we have this all the time. Whenever a team's doing badly, people say, "Oh, the place you know, the responsibility should, the responsibility should fall on the players. The players should want to win more." Not how it works. It just isn't how it works at all. It's the manager's job. And I know that, you know, you might, if you're being really defensive with Stellini, you'd say, well, Stellini isn't actually the manager. He's the assistant manager. Conte isn't there. It's obviously harder. And maybe it has been harder. But they were pretty good against Manchester City. And the players were, were, were motivated for that game against City. Um, but if the play, if it looks like the players are just downing tools, then to be honest, it's not actually the player's responsibility to pick the tools back up. It's the manager's responsibility to make them. That's just how it works. And, um, you know, I... 
there have been, I think, let's put it this way, there's definitely been moments this season where I think the the motivation of the players has looked a bit unclear, um, namely in the first half of lots of games, and lots of times they have turned it round, but if there is a motivational confidence issue at Tottenham, then it's Conte's fault, I'm afraid, or it's Conte and his coaching... Sorry, that's, let me rephrase that. If there is a motivational confidence issue at Tottenham, the ultimate responsibility for that is with Conte and the coaching staff. The buck stops with them. And I'm sure that when you guys connect that to the uncertainty about his own futures, hasn't signed his contract yet, looks increasingly unlikely that he will sign a new contract to be there next season, then I think that's a really fair connection to make. Because, of course, players, you know, a lot of the players, even the players who think he's really good, will be thinking, well, you know, play, why should they run through those walls? Because the other, sorry, one, one more point of this. The one thing we always know about players, they will always take an excuse. If an excuse is there, they will take it. And if the excuse is there to phone it in because you know that the man you know ultimately it's down to the manager because he's going to be out the door and so you can kind of play badly and not take response and you won't be held responsible for that because it'll be a different bloke in charge in june then players you know players are so quick to take up that kind of excuse they're so quick to do it yeah and and we all know that it only only takes a two percent drop in performance and you're losing games in the premier league i don't know if that's the exact right percentage listen let's let's try and uh uh, emerge or depart from this uh, slough of despond over that game against Leicester. The injuries are much more um, depressing than than the, the result at Leicester. Stuff happens in football matches, but Spurs have really, really got a problem on their hands now. And the first time we get to see how they're going to deal with those problems will be in Milan um, on Tuesday night. We'll talk about that next here on The View from the Lane, where you're listening to James Moore, Jack Pitbrook and me, Danny Kelly. Ciao listeners, hope you're all well, it's Tim here. Just arrived in Milan, uh, ahead of the big game tomorrow. Plenty of Spurs fans on the on the plane over. Um, as you can imagine, a little bit gloomy at 5.30 in the morning, what with all the recent horrific injury news. And um, yeah, we all landed in Milan to get confirmation of, of Bentancur's uh, fortunate absence. But um, yeah, amazing what a few beers and a bit of sunshine does for the mood, because um, there's, there's some optimism that Spurs can get a result tomorrow, um, mostly guided by Milan's horrific league form rather than anything that, uh, that Spurs have done uh, in the last few days. Um, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a certain air of inevitability that either Giroud or Divacarigi will score, but, um, but no, the Spurs fans are in good spirits. Um, everybody's certainly looking, looking forward to getting to the San Siro, such an iconic stadium, of course, in European football. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see how they get on. I'm off to... Um, press conference at the San Siro later, either be Stellini or Antonio Conte and uh, yeah, we'll see how Spurs get on tomorrow Speak to you later in the week Yeah, there's our colleague Tim Spears setting up the game in Milan for you we'll talk about, about that much more in a few seconds time, we've got a couple of little bit of uh, perhaps lighter notes about Spurs people to give you now um, I see that Ghana have appointed Spurs stalwart, I would say almost legend, Chris Hewton. We talked about him, we talked about great right backs the other week. Um, as the new, he's the new manager of Ghana. His assistant manager is George Boateng. And having spent time with both those gentlemen, I can say without fear of contradiction um, that that is the nicest two men in football working together. The Ghana players will not be getting shouted at, I suspect. 
Um, and meanwhile, given our problems at left wing back, it should be noted that Destiny Adogi um, of Spurs scored after 25 seconds for Udinese against Sassuolo um, at the weekend in Italy with a fine shot from the edge of the box. Um, I don't think there's a comeback clause in his contract um, for the start of next season, which takes us on. Um, we'll get on to, to Milan in just a second, Jack, but I think you want to say something about the Champions League in general. Give, off the back of what were on paper, at least, and I, believe me, I am no forensic accountant, um, what looked like startlingly good financial figures that Spurs announced last week. Yeah, obviously this is Spurs's what this is Spurs's first Champions League knockout game since they were knocked out by RB Leipzig just before COVID. So in February and March 2020, uh, three years ago, which feels like a completely different era. Um, but it's, so in a sense, like in a football sense, this is something they've been building up to for a long time. But the weird thing about well, this kind of the interesting thing about Tottenham in the Champions League is it does does make you wonder to what extent are they in it to win it? Is that is that why they're here? Or when you look at the financial results, you can just see that it's it's so, so important from a financial perspective simply to be in it. You know, we all know that the big sort of strategic goal of Tottenham is just to is to get into and stay in the Champions League because the the combination of the Champions League plus the new stadium effectively licensed to print money. Like they make so much money out, out, out of selling tickets for Champions League games, obviously, plus hospitality, plus the TV revenue. Like the revenue last season was really good. Uh, so it was, they made, in the, the figures that just come out, the total revenue for 2021-22 season, £444 million. But that's not even their record ever revenue because in 2018-19 they, got four, they made £460 million because that included over £100 million of Champions League gate receipts and prize money. So clearly, to the fin- to the model of the club, Champions League football is so important. But in terms of the the sort of plan for the team, it's uh, I'm not sure how you know. Is there a plan to try and win the Champions League? Can you try to can can you plan to try and win the Champions League, or is it just more about you know enjoying it insofar as they are in it? Well, I think Juventus have shown the the danger of planning to win the Champions League. Um, you've got to beat you've got to beat a whole lot of teams in a cup competition, after all, um, and they have they have sliced their own arms and legs off financially trying to win it by bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo. Not just the money he pulled down, but the effect it had on the other players. I don't, um, <laughs> well, I, you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> They're such a good team, Juventus, and they ruined they literally ruined it by signing Ronaldo. It was. Football genius. Yeah, he got it. Don't worry, he got four goals in Saudi Arabia at the weekend. He's back, 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 baby. Um, look, but it's 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 the um, it's a kind of dysfunctional cycle, isn't it? You you try to to get into the Champions League, but you don't try to win it because the important thing is the league games. You've got to try and get into it again next year, unless you you know. I mean, there's all the contradictions caused by the way. Football is operated nowadays. I mean, you had Manchester City fans before the game at the weekend booing the Premier League anthem while uh, while desperately trying to catch Arsenal to win the Premier League. I mean, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Um, I suppose, you know, but they've got a quarter final here. You know, that's more money piling up. I'm really surprised, though, that this is only the third time these two great clubs have met in Europe. We'll all remember... Peter Crouch's winner in the San Siro in 2011, James. Lennon to take on Yepes here, and he's away, Aaron Lennon! Crouch! Yes! 
Brilliant. Tottenham lead in Milan, and Peter Crouch has got a priceless away goal for them. Aaron Lennon, absolutely. Very, yeah. very well, yeah. Great reserve, it's a great that... performance. And I think they had uh, like half a team out that time as well. If you remember that, I think the starting 11 was sort of Stephen Pienaar and Wilson Palacios and yeah. whatever. Yeah. It was definitely. Um, uh, Modric was only half fit and only played half the game. I think Van der Vaart was only half fit and played half the game. Bale didn't play, so you know maybe there's hope. And I, I, they did have a, they did have a goalkeeper then a better goalkeeper. Hurelia Gomez is a better goalkeeper than uh, than Forster. Fraser Forster. Well, I'll talk yeah. about goalkeepers as well. So I, I want to, if I may, indulge me, please. The other time they've met Milan in Europe was 51 years ago in the semi-final of the UEFA Cup, two-legged semi-final when AC Milan really were. Um, they were the favourites for the tournament by a mile. Um, I, I was at the first leg of White Hart Lane, um, and it was a mad game because it was a game dominated by the two defensive midfielders. Um, Milan had a, a brilliant centre midfielder, a man called Romeo Benetti, one of those people straight out of a spaghetti western, a blonde-haired Italian um, of the more destructive kind, shall we say. And next to him, Gianni Rivera, who was just... I mean, he's a legend in Italian football. I suppose his name has disappeared into the mists of time now. The most silky Perlo-style player um, you could see at that time. Um, and Benetti scored from outside the box to put Milan ahead. And Spurs went 2-1 up and won the game 2-1 with not one but two goals from Steve Perryman, who was playing in centre midfield um, and never scored, as we know. He's got about 10 goals in 800 appearances. Got two that night against Milan. The return leg, uh, Alan Mullery put Spurs 3-1 up on aggregate. Uh, the aforementioned Rivera, in front of 70,000, by the way, in the San Siro, the aforementioned Rivera got a goal back and Spurs clung on for a 3-2 victory, um, which took them to the final, which they won against Wolves. And I've even managed in all of that, and, and, and it was an amazing two-legged semi-final, to find a further link. Um, we all remember um, motorbike riding Spurs goalkeeper Carlo Cudicini, um, his dad, Fabio, played in goal in both legs for AC Milan all, all those years ago. So Spurs have knocked out Milan the two times they've played them in the past. It's been, a, it's been a difficult season so far for Milan. They were challenging um, runaway Napoli initially at the top of the league. Then they've fallen away drastically. Didn't win in six following the World Cup. Though that changed at the weekend. Um, James Horncastle. Gives us the latest on what kind of team Spurs will face on Tuesday. This is a massive occasion for AC Milan. That might sound banal to say, um, particularly when this is a club that has won the Champions League seven times. Uh, no one other than Real Madrid has won it more often um, than this club. But. It's their first knockout game in this competition in almost a decade. You know, you have to go back to 2014, Milan against Atletico Madrid, Clarence Seedorf on the bench. So I'd expect a incredible atmosphere um, at San Siro on Tuesday night. The team is not in its best state. This isn't even the best version of uh, Stefano Pioli's Milan. They are still champions of Italy, but not for long. They've got some problems in common with Tottenham. For example, their first choice goalkeeper, who was actually going to succeed Hugo Lloris for France, Mike Maignan, is still out injured. So Cipri and Tatarasanu, uh, the Romanian, is, is in goal. He hasn't 
commanded much authority. We'll have to see whether Fikayo Tomori is back fit. He trained fully on Sunday, as did Ismail Benesser. Um, Benesser is their best midfield player. The guy who can really allow them to control the game and dictate play. But um, because of this poor run of results that Milan have been on, um, they lost the Super Cup to Inter 3-0 in Riyadh. They then lost 4-0 uh, to Lazio, and then they conceded five at home in a 5-2 defeat to Sassuolo. They have changed system. They've gone away from uh, what uh, brought them success before, 4-2-3-1, uh, uh, high pressing. Uh, and they've been playing with a back three, and they've been pretty passive and stood off teams. Um, so, you know, as problematic as things have been for, for this inconsistent Spurs team, Conte knows San Siro, Conte knows this team, he's come up against it, he's beaten it um, as coach of Inter, it's more or less the same personnel. Perisic coming back to San Siro, you've got Kulusevski, Romero, all of these guys will not be intimidated by the atmosphere that they find because they've played here before. But it's, it's actually really difficult to call um, at the moment because, um, as I said, you just don't really know what you're going to get. From either of these teams. Um, you know, Milan, even at their best under Stefano Pioli, have been a team that have looked to get the ball to Rafa Leao, a player who's been uh, linked with a Premier League move. And Leao has got the dribbling skills to put anybody in difficulty. Giroud, who's come up big in big games uh, for Milan, and they'll be hoping he does that again tonight. I think he scored in his last two appearances at San Siro. Um, but uh, it feels like a very open tie. Um, so let's see what happens. Yeah, James talking about Milan here, but I think obviously with the injuries, it's much more important to talk about Spurs. We, we started to prod at this in the first half of the podcast about how we should line up. Um, since there's no chance that they'll change the system, we presume, who's going to play? And here's a, tra- a, tra- a chance for you, Jack, to redeem yourself by getting the other starting eleven right. Well, so this will be a fun prediction. Yeah. So obviously it'll be Forster and goal. Yep. Right. Uh, and and then Romero's not suspended. So it'll be I assume it'll be Romero, Dyer and Davis, unless he's minded to bring in Longley, uh, which I suppose is plausible. But then he's clearly, I think he's gone off Longley a little yep. bit. He's not really played much uh, in the last few months. Royale left wing back, Perisic right wing back. And then in central midfield, you would assume it would be Oliver Skip and Pat Matasar. And then and then presumably Kane, Son and Kulisewski up front. The only... Is there any way that he can... Is there anything else they can do? Could they, for example, bring in Eric... Could they move Eric Dyer and play him in central midfield? Not something that Conte... Conte's never started Dyer as a midfielder. Um... Obviously, Dyer played in midfield a lot under, previ- under previous managers. He had managers, two very good Pochettino. seasons at it under Pochettino. Um, but I don't know. I mean, apart from playing Dyer in midfield, I don't, I don't see what other options he would have. Dyer in a midfield too troubles me. Like in terms of my ability, it just doesn't feel I, I, right I, at all, does it? Doesn't doesn't sit right in the year twenty twenty three. Could they? What I if? Mean, you, I, I, yeah. mean, I know, I know twenty. I know we like to pretend twenty fifteen is not that long ago, really. But it really yeah. is. Uh, oh yeah. But in terms of a footballer's career, yeah. eight years. I mean, could they? Yeah, yeah, could they know. change to a kind of five three two? Could they put Kulusevski in central midfield with the with the two youngsters? What about three five two, which they have done this season with Dyer? 
in the sort of Bissoumery role in front of the... But then even then, if you do that, you're only having two attacking players. And you're, that means you're only having two out of Kane, Son, Richarlison, Kulusevski and Danjuma. And it's like, why would you sacrifice your players who can score a goal? I think it has to be skipping. I guess the answer to why would you sacrifice is because um, they've got to stay in this tie. They've been lucky enough to be drawn away first. There's no way goals don't count double. So the, the absolute imperative to score away from home is now gone. Um, and for once, I'm encouraging Spurs to be slightly negative here. Um, stick, stick in this tie and hope that the crowd um, at the lane carries you over the line, the second leg. Uh, that, that's, that's the only reason I can... They've got to... They can't lose 3-0, otherwise the whole thing is, is, is banjaxed, isn't it? Yeah, no one's ever come back from 3-0 down against Milan. That's the thing. Um, yeah, we ain't, I, we I, I would go, we ain't got my that t- team, Traore <laughs> notwithstanding. We ain't got that manager either. Um... I uh, my prediction for the team. I have a feeling that Longley might play. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why. But, I think well because he, did, because he didn't League. play in the previous game. Yeah, <laughs> well, he, he had a couple of half decent games in the Champions League from memory. I mean, he scored the goal in Marseille. Uh, I don't know if that's what sticks in my mind, but I just have a feeling he might play. He probably doesn't even have more Champions League experience than Davis, but it, in my stupid head, it just feels like he might play. But otherwise, I don't really see. I, I had to admit, I'd forgotten again about. Dan Juma. Wasn't there a suggestion he could play wing back at one point? Only in only in so far right. as Kudasevsky could play there, you know, in, in in some kind of computerized version sure, of real sure. life. But is he is he the other option if Perisic is rotated or unavailable further down the line? I know he's right footed, but I, I mean, think it's more likely Richarlison would start at left wing back to be truthful if that was the situation. Well he's right footed as well, isn't he? But is he, he likes right to play on the well? left hand side, doesn't he? Well, so does Dan Juma. All right. They're all gonna play left back. We 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 we're we're awash with them. Why were you worried? How many left? How many left-footed? How many left-footed players does Spurs actually have? L- Lloris injured, Sessegnon injured, Perisic is technically two. Longley, a Longley, Davis, Davis, Son, Who? Son is Son is two-footed. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Son. I guess is the other option. Well, isn't that wrote, Conte, Conte's seen that yeah, in action that before, really well. and it went and it went <laughs> it went well for Conte. So maybe he'll get it work well for him this time. I mean, I suspect that Pedro Porro was bought on the back of his performances in the group stage of the Champions League. Um, I guess if they had the first choice midfield, I think he might start. But do they have to bring some kind of familiarity to the team if we're going to be starting Star and Skip in the mid? Star and Skip sounds like a toy shop. It's a toy (laughs) shop, isn't it, Star and Skip? (laughs) Of a handmade toy shop. (laughs) You're thinking of City and Sweet, you're thinking of. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think Royal has to play. I mean, you need you need that defensive stability because I, it, it feel it feels hard to imagine them not being under the cosh. And yeah, you, as you said earlier, Danny, I think you're kind of trying to make it as solid as possible with a view to Son Kane or Kulusevski or a combination of any two or three of those uh, doing something like incredible. Like they did at Leicester. Yeah, like they like they did at Leicester. Yeah. I think part of the problem here with having to start Skip and Saar is that a different manager who rotated more and used the bench more and played young, trusted young players more would have played Skip and Saar more. Like, I don't have any... Look, Saar is a big talent. Like, Saar was one of the hottest properties in France when, when Tottenham got him. Skip is a big talent. You know, Skip was the best player in his in his year in the, in the Tottenham Academy. He's one of the best players the Tottenham Academy has produced in the last five or so years. So I don't, I don't doubt that Skip and Saar are potentially good players. 
but they have incredibly little relevant experience. Like, Skipper started, what, five games this season, only three of them in the Premier League. Uh, Saar has started two games this season. Um, and I guess this is kind of the downside of the Conte approach, is that if you if you manage just by using the same 12 or 13 experienced pros for every single game, you never rotate, you never bring in young players. Then if you lose one of those young... what Then you lose one of those senior players, as has happened with Lloris, as has happened with Benton Kerr. You've, got, you've really got nowhere else to turn. And now Conte is having to turn to players who he very clearly doesn't trust. And he clearly doesn't trust them because he doesn't play them. I, absolutely. No, you're 100% correct. And he'll, he'll sit in the, in, the, uh, in the press conference saying, if only we had bought nine world-class players in the transfer window... Um, it, 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 look, we started the, the, the podcast, with, you know, with, with the uh, lamentation about the about the injuries, and there, it, it is it is the squad, not the team, but the the squad has been gutted uh, in the space of a week, and it's a it's a it's a I know what I'm supposed to say. It's an opportunity for those coming into the team, but uh, there's a part of me, and I, I guess it's the James Moore part of my character. It's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. Now. They all go out, play really well on Tuesday. They come back with a 2-2 draw, including a worldie for Son. And I've got another smile on my face, and I'm saying, ah, oh, we're back, back, back. All hail the Spurs. Um, get out the old navy blue and white bunting again. Um, but I must admit, normally, as I say, I mean, I was pretty optimistic about the game against Leicester. Um, but I don't have any optimism about this now. This is, this is going to be a very tricky tie for Spurs. They just have to find a way to not lose the to not lose tonight, oh, sorry, on Tuesday night, don't they? If they can, and the thing is, like maybe the away goals rule means that there's not quite so much the same motivation to score. Like it's not. Is it a disaster if they lose? What What's the worst result that you would ex- that you would take if offered now, you guys? <laughs> Fucking hell! This is the question I love being asked. Would you take uh, a two 0 defeat? A, 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 I mean, any any one goal defeat, I think. Yeah, one goal defeat. I think a two goal defeat. I think a two goal defeat. If they're three nil, if they're three nil down and they get one back and they lose three one. <laughs> <laughs> that probably doesn't. That probably doesn't feel too bad, but if they're like one 0 up like they were on Saturday and then get beaten relatively heavily, you ever lose three one, then uh, that feels but, like quite a big momentum shift. But a three one away defeat's not as good as it used to no. be. Post away goals. No, but you still win two 0 and go to. And you do get you do get the advantage of the extra thirty minutes on your home patch. I mean, being drawn, yeah, that, that you know, winning your group and getting the the, the away leg first and out of the way does still carry advantage. Well, I guess we don't want to go to penalties with this goalkeeper, do we? Because <laughs> they just roll them all in the bottom corner and just well, score every time. Well, he's taking up more of the goal than the, than the person he's replacing. There's that, I suppose. And and Lloris is, I think, I don't know if it's just or unjust. He, he has a reputation for never stopping a penalty, though I can remember one or two. Um, but but he's, not, he's not an expert at it, is he? He's not Pope or someone like that. Um, I think we should stop this now in case, uh, certainly this, in case we talk ourselves into a, what used to be described as a blue funk um, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up now to read all of the excellent Spurs coverage. You just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Sign up right now for one ninety nine a month for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday when we'll be looking back on a game that Jack Pitbrook has promised us might not be a disaster. Night, everyone. The Athletic.